Section 16 of Japanese Girls and Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Fraze. Japanese Girls and Women by Alice M. Bacon. Life in the Cities, Part 1. The great cities of Japan afford remarkable opportunities for seeing the life of the common people, for the little houses and shops with their open fronts reveal the penetralia in a way not known in our more secluded homes. The employment of the merchant being formerly the lowest of respectable callings, one does not find even yet in Japan many great stores or a very high standard of business morality, for the business in the country was left in the hands of those who were too stupid or too unambitious to raise themselves above that social class. Hence, English and American merchants, who only see Japan from the business side, continually speak of the Japanese as dishonest, tricky, and altogether unreliable, and greatly prefer to deal with the Chinese, who have much of the business virtue that is characteristic of the English as a nation. Only within a few years have the samurai, or indeed anyone who was capable of figuring in any higher occupation in life, been willing to adopt the calling of the merchant, but many of the abler Japanese of today have begun to see that trade is one of the most important factors of a nation's well-being, and that the business of buying and selling, if wisely and honestly done, is an employment that nobody need be ashamed to enter. There are in Japan a few great merchants whose word may be trusted, and whose obligations will be fulfilled with absolute honesty, but a large part of the buying and selling is still in the hands of mercantile freebooters, who will take an advantage wherever it is possible to get one, in whose morality honesty has no place, and who have not yet discovered the efficacy of that virtue simply as a matter of policy. Their trade, conducted in a small way upon small means, is more of the nature of a game, in which one person is the winner and the other the loser, than a fair exchange, in which both parties obtain what they want. It is the medieval, not the modern idea of business that is still held among the Japanese merchants. With them, Trade is a warfare between buyer and seller, in which every man must take all possible advantage for himself, and it is the lookout of the other party if he is cheated. In Tokyo, the greatest and most modernized of the cities of the empire, the shops are not the large city stores that one sees in European and American cities, but little open-fronted rooms, on the edge of which one sits to make one's purchases, while the proprietor smiles and bows and dickers, setting his price by the style of his customer's dress, or her apparent ignorance of the value of the desired article. Some few large dry-goods stores there are, where prices are set and dickering is unnecessary, and in the Kwankoba, or bazaars, one may buy almost anything needed by Japanese of all classes, from the house furnishings to foreign hats, at prices plainly marked upon them, and from which there is no variation. But one's impression of the state of trade in Japan is that it is still in a very primitive and undeveloped condition, and is surprisingly behind the other parts of Japanese civilization. The shopping of the ladies in the large yashikis and the wealthy families is done mostly in the home, for all the stores are willing, at any time, on receiving an order, to send up a clerk with a bale of crepes, silks, and cottons tied to his back, and frequently towering high above his head as he walks, making him look like the proverbial ant with a grain of wheat. He sets his great bundle carefully down on the floor, opens the normal furushki, or bundle handkerchief, in which it is enveloped, and takes out roll after roll of silk or chintz, neatly done up in paper or yellow cotton. With infinite patience he waits while the merits of each piece are examined and discussed, and if none of his stock proves satisfactory, he is willing to come again with a new set of wares, knowing that in the end purchases will be made sufficient to cover all his trouble. 
the less aristocratic people are content to go to the stores themselves and the business streets of a japanese city such as the ginza in tokyo are full of women young and old as well as merry children who enjoy the life and bustle of the stores like all things else in japan shopping takes plenty of time at mitsui's the largest silk store in tokyo one will see crowds of clerks sitting upon the matted floors each with his soroban or adding machine by his side and innumerable small boys who rush to and fro carrying armfuls of fabric to the different clerks or picking up the same fabrics after the customer who has called for them has departed the store appears to the foreign eye to be simply a roofed and matted platform upon which both clerks and customers sit this platform is screened from the street by dark blue cotton curtains or awnings hung from the low projecting eaves of the heavy roof as the customers take their seats either on the edge of the platform or if they have come on an extended shopping boat upon the straw mat of the platform itself a small boy appears with tea for the party an obsequious clerk greets them with the customary salutations of welcome pushes the charcoal brazier towards them that they may smoke or warm their hands before proceeding to business and then waits expectantly for the name of the goods that his customers desire to see when this is given the work begins the little boys are summoned and are soon sent off to the great fireproof warehouse which stands with heavy doors thrown open on the other side of the platform away from the street through the doorway one can see endless piles of costly stuffs stored safely away and from these piles the boys select the required fabric loading themselves down with them so that they can barely stagger under the weights that they carry as the right goods are not always brought the first time and as moreover there is an endless variety in the colors and patterns in even one kind of silk there is always plenty of time for watching the busy scene for sipping tea or smoking a few whiffs of the tiny pipes that so many japanese both men and women carry always with them when the purchase is at last made there is still some time to be spent by the customer in waiting until the clerk has made an abstruse calculation upon his soroban the transaction has been entered in the books of the firm and a long bill has been written and stamped and handed to her with the bundle during her stay in the store the foreign customer making her first visit to the place is frequently started by loud shouts from the whole staff of clerks and small boys outcries so sudden so simultaneous and so stentorian that she cannot rid herself of the idea that something terrible is happening every time that they occur she soon learns however that these manifestations of energy are but the way in which the japanese merchant speeds the departing purchaser and that the apparent inarticulate shouts are but the formal phrase thanks for your continued favors which is repeated in a loud tone by every employee in the store whenever a customer departs when she herself is at last ready to leave a chorus of yells arises this time for her benefit and as she skips into the jinriksha and is whirled away she hears continued the busy hum of voices the clattering of sorobans the thumping of the bare feet of the heavily laden boys and the loud shouts of thanks with which departing guests are honoured there is less pomp and circumstances about the smaller stores for all the goods are within easy reach and the shops for household utensils and chinaware seem to have nearly the whole stock in trade piled up in front or even in the street itself many such little places are the homes of the people who keep them and at the back are rooms which serve for dwelling rooms opening upon well-kept gardens the whole work of the store is often attended to by the proprietor assisted by his wife and family and perhaps one or two apprentices each of the workers in turn takes an occasional holiday for there is no day in the japanese calendar when the shops are all closed and even new year's day the great festival of the year finds most of the stores open yet the dwellers in these little homes living almost in the street and in the midst of the bustle and crowd and dust of tokyo have still time to enjoy their holidays and their little gardens and have more pleasure and less hard work than those under similar circumstances in our own country 
the stranger visiting any of the great japanese cities is surprised by the lack of large stores and manufactories and often wonders where the beautiful lacquer work and porcelains are made and where the gay silks and crepes are woven there are no establishments where such things are turned out by wholesale the delicate vases the bronzes and the silks are often made in humblest homes the work of one or two laborers with rudest tools there are no great manufactories to be seen and the bane of so many cities the polluting factory smoke never rises over the cities of japan the hard confining factory life with its never-ceasing roar of machinery bewildering the minds and intellects of the men who come under its deadening influences until they become scarcely more than machines themselves is a thing as yet almost unknown in japan the life of the jinriksha man even hard and comfortless as it may seem to run all day like a horse through the crowded city streets is one that keeps him in the fresh air under the open sky and quickens his powers both as a body and mind to the poor in japanese cities is never denied the fresh air and sunshine green trees and grass and the most beautiful parks and gardens are found everywhere for the enjoyment of even the meanest and lowliest on certain days in the month in different sections of the city are held night festivals near temples and many shopkeepers take the opportunity to erect temporary booths in which they so arrange their wares as to tempt the passers-by as they go to and fro very often there is a magnificent display of young trees potted plants and flowers brought in from the country and ranged on both sides of the street here the gardeners make lively sales as the displays are often fine in themselves and show to a special advantage in the flaring torchlight the eager vendors who do all they can to call the attention of the crowd to their wares make many good bargains the purchase requires skills on both sides for flowermen are proverbial in their high charges asking often five and ten times the real value of a plant but coming down in price almost immediately on remonstrance you ask the price of a dwarf wisteria growing in a pot the man answers at once two dollars two dollars you answer in surprise it is not worth more than thirty or forty cents seventy-five then he will respond and thus the buyer and seller approach nearer in price until the bargain is struck somewhere near the first price offered price another plant and there would be the same process to go over again but as the evening passes prices go lower and lower for the distances that the plants have been brought are great and the labor of loading up and carrying back the heavy pots is a weary one and when the last customer has departed the merchants must work late into the night to get their wares safely home again but beside the flower shows there are long rows of booch which with the many visitors who throng the streets make a gay and lively scene so dense is the crowd that it is with difficulty one can push through on foot or in jinriksha the darkness is illuminated by torches whose weird flames flare and smoke in the wind and shine down upon the little sheds which line both sides of the road and contain so tempting a display of cheap toys and trinkets that not only the children but their elders are attracted by them some of the booths are devoted to dolls others to toys of various kinds still others to birds in cages goldfish in globes queer chirping insects in wicker baskets pretty ornaments for the hair fans candies and cakes of all sorts roasted beans and peanuts and other things too numerous to mention the long line of stalls ends with booths or tents in which shows of dancing jugglery educated animals and monstrosities natural or artificial may be seen for the moderate admission fee of two sen each of these shows is well advertised by the beating of drums by the shouting of doorkeepers by wonderful pictures on the outside to entice the passer-by or even by an occasional brief lifting of the curtains which veil the scene from the crowd without just long enough to afford a tantalizing glimpse of the wonders within 
great is the fascination to the children in all these things and the little feet are never weary until the last booth is passed and the quiet of neighboring streets lighted only by wandering lanterns strikes the home returning party by its contrast with the light and the noise of the festival the supposed object of the expedition the visit to the temple has occupied but a small share of time and attention and the little hands are filled with the amusing toys and trifles bought and the little minds with the merry sights seen nor are those who remain at home forgotten but the pleasure-seekers who visit the fair carry with them little gifts for each member of the family the omiyage or present given on the return is a regular institution of japanese home life footnote omiyage must be given not only on the return from an evening of pleasure but also on the return from a journey or pleasure trip of any kind as a rule the longer the absence the finer and more costly must be the presents given on returning End of footnote. by ten o'clock when the crowds have dispersed and the purchasers have all gone home and gone to bed the busy booth-keepers take down their stalls pack up their wares and disappear leaving no trace of the night's nice gaieties to greet the morning sun beside these evening shows which occur monthly or oftener there are also great festivals of the various gods some celebrated annually others at intervals of some years these matsuri last for several days and during that time the quarter of the city in which they occur seems entirely given over to festivity the streets are gaily decorated with flags and bright lanterns all alike in design and colour are hung in rows from the low eaves of the houses young bamboo trees set along the street and decorated with bits of bright-coloured tissue paper are a frequent and effective accompaniment of these festivals and here and there throughout the district are set up high stands on the tops of which musicians with squeaky flutes and drums of varying calibre keep up a din more festive than harmonious it takes a day or two for the rejoicings to get fully under way but by the second or third day the fun is at its height and the streets are thronged with merrymakers a great deal of labour and strength as well as ingenuity is spent in the construction of enormous floats or dashi lofty platforms of two stories either set on wheels and drawn by black bullocks or crowds of shouting men or carried by poles on men's shoulders upon the first floor of these great floats is usually a company of dancers or mummers who dance attitudinize or make faces for the amusement of the crowds that gather along their route while up above an effigy of some hero of japanese history or the figure of some animal or monster looks down unmoved upon the absurdities below each dashi is attended not only by the men who draw it but by companies of others in some uniform costume and sometimes graceful professional dancing girls are hired to march in the matsuri procession or to dance upon the lofty dashi at the time of the festivities which accompanied the promulgation of the constitution three days of jollification were held in tokyo days of such universal fun and frolic that it will be known among the common people to all succeeding generations as the emperor's big matsuri every quarter of the city vied with every other in the production of gorgeous dashi and the streets were gay with every conceivable variety of decoration from the little red and white paper lanterns that even the poorest hung before their houses to the great evergreen arches set with electric lights with which the great business streets were spanned thickly from end to end an evening walk through one of these thoroughfares was a sight to be remembered for a lifetime the magnificent dashi represented all manner of quaint conceits a great bivalve drawn by yelling crowds which halted occasionally opened and displayed between its shells a group of beautifully dressed girls who danced one of the pantomimic dances of the country accompanied by the twanging melodies of the samisen 
then slowly the great shell closed once more the shouting crowd seized hold of the straining ropes and the great bivalve with its fair freight was drawn slowly along through the gaily illuminated streets jimu tenno and other heroes of japanese legend or history each upon its lofty platform a white elephant and countless other subjects were represented in the festival cars sent forth by all the districts of the city to celebrate the great event upon such festival occasions the shopkeeper does not put up his shutters and leave his place of business but the open shop fronts add much to the gay appearance of the street there are no signs of business about but the floor of the shop is covered with bright red blankets magnificent gilded screens form an imposing background to the little room and seated on the floor are the shopkeeper his family and guests eating drinking tea and smoking as cosily as if all the world and his wife were not gazing upon the gay and homelike interior sometimes companies of dancers or other entertainments furnished by the wealthier shopkeepers will attract gaping crowds who watch and block the street until the advance guard of some approaching dashi scatters them for a moment in japan as in other parts of the world the country people are rather looked down upon by the dwellers in the city for their slowness of intellect dowdiness of dress and boorishness of manners while the country people make fun of the fads and fashions of the city and rejoice that they are not themselves the slaves of novelty and especially of the foreign innovations that play so prominent a part in japanese city life to-day the frog in the well knows not the great ocean is the snub with which the japanese cockney sets down farmer rice-fields expressions of opinion while the conservative countryman laughs at the foreign affectations of the tokyo man and returns to his village with the tales of the cookery of the capital so extravagant is it that sugar is used in everything it is even rumoured that the tokyoites put sugar in their tea but while the country laughs and wonders at the city nevertheless in japan as elsewhere there is a constant crowding of the young life of the country into the livelier and more entertaining city tokyo especially is the goal of every young countryman's ambition and thither he goes to seek his fortune finding alas too often only the hard lot of the jinriksha man instead of the wealth and power that his country dreams had shown him the lower-class women of the cities are in many respects like their sisters of the rural districts except that they have less freedom than the country women in what the economists call direct production the wells and water tanks that stand at convenient distances along the streets of tokyo are frequently surrounded by crowds of women drawing water washing rice and chattering merrily over their occupations they meet and exchange ideas freely with each other and with the men but they have not the diversity of labour that country life affords confining themselves more closely to indoor and domestic work and leaving the bread-winning more entirely to the men end of life in the cities part one recording by dan phrase